Well, hey, Christ Fellowship Podcast. This is Richie Christie. Excited to kick off our new Advent series called Anticipating uh, as we jump into this Christmas season. Really, the heart behind this series is really that. How do we prepare for, anticipate the coming of the King? And today, I kind of dive into this idea of what it really means that God is with us um, as He came in the story, in the Christmas story, not just caught up in cute Christmas images and Christmas carols and buying gifts and all of that, but what is really the essence of the story as Jesus came to reveal himself on that Christmas night. So I hope you enjoy it. hope it shifts your perspective, challenges your thinking as you prepare for Christmas this Advent season. Yeah, Jesus, we, uh, we come to you this morning, Emmanuel, the God with us. We come to you to experience the God with us this morning. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are high king in heaven. And yeah, your story started lowly in a manger. So Father, would you help us wrap our minds around just the story of Emmanuel, the story of God being with us. And will we realize today, will we experience today that it is not just time in the past, but it is our, our present and our future that you are the God always with us. You will always be with us. Father, so would you reveal yourself, King Jesus? Would you reveal yourself in a fresh way this morning? We love you. We love you. It's your name we pray. Amen. 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 You guys can grab a seat. Beautiful. Wow. <clears throat> so good. Good morning. Um, my name is Richie Christie. I am one of our pastors on staff. And today marks the beginning of the Advent season, if you did not know. Very excited to kick off uh, Advent with you guys through our series called Anticipating. And so I want to talk a little bit about the heart behind the series, uh, really through the art behind me. So I think it's up there. Yeah, beautiful. Um, so really the the... You know, we're jumping into Advent, we're jumping into this time preparing for Christmas, uh, but that series title and artwork comes from a song that we're actually releasing uh, this Friday that CF Collective wrote. Um, really excited about it. The song was written, uh, produced, mixed, everything fully in-house. It was written by Jamie and Tony Williams. They're a part of our team. And then, yeah, it was recorded here at CF mixed by our people, produced all by our own musicians, including Jason Boyd, Jason Grigori. Uh, and it's exciting because it's the first song that we've really done from start to finish all here at CF uh, with all our own people. Very exciting. And, and so as we were uh, thinking about uh, the song coming out, what we should do with the album artwork, uh, some of you might, uh, if you've been here before, you see sometimes we have painters up here painting during worship. And so our own Amanda Warner also painted during a prayer room her interpretation of the song, and that is the art up there, uh, is a prayer room uh, painting. And then eventually, uh, Meshach Moore, one of our photographers, uh, took a photo of the picture, and then we got it up there. So we're just really excited. We just want to honor the art coming out of here from our own artists, and just, uh, yeah, really excited for that. So definitely check that out. This Friday, it'll be released. If you don't follow us on social media, you should. Uh, and you'll see all of that information, and you'll be able to get that anywhere that you stream music. But really, the heart of the song, the heart of this series, uh, centers around the anticipation of the coming king. But 
uh, how he, he didn't come like they expected him to come or we expect him to come, but despite that, he is in fact the one that the world has been anticipating. And that really is the essence of Advent. The essence of Advent, really the, the preparing for Christmas, the anticipation for Christmas, the anticipation for Jesus coming. And, and boy, do we love preparing for Christmas, right? Preparing for, for this Christmas season, don't we? Listen to, listen to this a little bit. Uh, in 2023, this year, holiday retail stores in the United States are forecasted to reach about $957 billion in sales this month. According to the latest data from the National Retail Federation, each American, so you guys, spends an average of $997.73 on Christmas. You love gift cards? Anybody love gift cards up in here? Yeah? Okay, so 20% of holiday shopping is spent on gift cards. But in a new report from the Credit Summit, uh, they said that there is as much as $21 billion with a B, billion dollars of unspent money tied up in unused or lost gift cards. You wanna fix the economy? Don't lose your gift cards. <laughs> How about Amazon? Anybody love Amazon? Some people hate Amazon. Well, regardless of what you think about it, roughly three billion packages will be delivered to homes across America this month. About 21 million real Christmas trees are gonna be cut down and the average American house will spend around $230 just in decorations as we prepare for Christmas, right? All this spending, all this preparing, it's just kind of, it's the holiday season, right? It's what we do. We, we get ready for it. Some of us might budget for it. Some of us might not budget for it, but we all get ready year in and year out for the holiday season. And I don't think I have to spend much time here today to convince you that in America, when it comes to Christmas, we might have our priorities off a little bit. Right? We, we, we might have a problem in how we prepare for it. But sometimes we don't think about that because it's just normal. It's the holiday season. It's what we do, right? But I think when it comes to the heart of Christmas, right, or the, the heart of Advent, this preparing for what it's truly about, is that when, when we kind of get in that flow, when things become normal, Christmas can also kind of lose its beauty, right? When it becomes about that stuff. When things become familiar, they tend to lose their wonder. And as much as secular consumeristic culture has definitely done that, I wonder if we have done some of that in the church as well. Not with money or gifts or spending, but in how we even tell and think about the Christmas story. How we even think through our preparation in Advent, in this kind of calendar of preparation in the church. Has the Christmas story become so familiar to us that year in and year out, it seems to lose its wonder? Has it been propped up by images of cute baby Jesus, eight pounds, six ounce, newborn Jesus? If you know, you know, right? <laughs> or images of shepherds and wise men and their gifts of lights, of music, has it been consumed with all those images that maybe it's lost its essence or at least ignored the full reality of the story? Have we made it so normal that we forget the miraculous or have we made it so miraculous that we disconnect from the reality? I mean, we just ended singing Emmanuel, Emmanuel, which means God with us. Have we heard that so many times that the reality of God being with us no longer really moves us? It's just a, a saying or a thought around Christmas. Uh, 
I'm not sure about you, but I know it at least has for me from time to time. Um, and it hit me most recently, actually, as I was putting my four-year-old River to bed one night. We've been kind of going through the Jesus Storybook Bible kind of reading through it and we got to the Christmas story recently and, and I begin reading the Christmas story to reading however this Jesus storybook Bible describes it and I'm reading in the middle of it River goes wait Jesus was a baby <laughs> yeah dude he was that's how it started and, and, and I explained whatever I explained and just kept reading but I left putting him to bed that night walking out of his room thinking Jesus was a baby and I forget that. I forget that he was a baby. I forget the story, right? And I began to think around this idea of what does it really mean that God came to us on Christmas as he did? Like, what is the weight of that? What is the meaning behind that? What does that really mean that God came to us as he did, as a human baby, born to a teenage girl in poverty in the middle of the night? There's so many details of this story, so many angles of this story. And I realized that I'd let the familiarity of the story take me away from the wonder of the story. And so this morning, I want to read the Christmas story, at least a portion of it. Uh, and I'm also going to read an excerpt from a book by Max Lucado this morning together. And my hope is that even as familiar as this season is, as familiar as Christmas is to you and I, that maybe as we kind of wrestle through the meaning of what it means that God is with us, that love is with us, that this morning as we begin our Advent season together, as we anticipate the coming of Jesus, that our joy and wonder would be restored in the story and in the King. And so I'm going to read out of Matthew's account uh, primarily this morning out of Matthew 1. So if you've got a Bible, you can flip there. Uh, if, you, if you didn't know this, there's another really uh, detailed account in Luke, um, another gospel writer. Honestly, Luke's account has a lot of important detail. I won't read it for, for the sake of time today, but this is uh, Luke's account is where we kind of learn that kind of the whole, uh, the background of it is that there was a, a, a census that required Joseph um, to, to go from Nazareth to Bethlehem with his family. So just for perspective's sake, I don't know if you know this, back in the Bible, they didn't have cars. Uh, so going from Nazareth to Bethlehem would be like walking from here to Knoxville. So have fun with that, right? Um, Mary's also pregnant at that time. Uh, it's also in Luke's account where we really get these uh, images of, of Jesus born in like a stable or a manger. Uh, scholars kind of debate that of what that really was. Some say it, it, it was maybe more like a cave, like a shepherd's cave, a sheep's cave. Uh, not necessarily like a barn that, that kind of we think of, but uh, maybe another detail worth noting is, is uh, Mary, when all of this took place, I don't know if you knew this, when all this took place, she was probably somewhere between like 13 to 15 years old. So yeah, eighth grade. Um, but I share this because there's so many details of the story. Uh, and I want us to root us in the reality of the story in the, this morning, like the, the truth of the story, not just in like the cute baby Jesus and angel stuff, right? So I'm going to read a lot today. I will tell you that ahead of time. So here's what I want. Here's your job today. As I read, don't check out. There's a tendency. I do this when I sit in messages. When someone starts reading it, I'm like, yeah, they're about to explain it anyways. I don't need to pay attention. But I'm reading it 
uh, on purpose this morning. And I'm reading a lot on purpose this morning. So I want you to immerse yourself in the text. I want you to get familiar with the story. Don't let me just read it. Receive the word of God this morning just through me reading it, okay? So out of Matthew 1 is where we start. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way, this way. When his, Mary, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being just a quiet man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So this is probably one of the parts of the stories we don't like to talk about, right? I mean, put yourself in Joseph's shoes. He's got a girlfriend. They're not... They're not married. She comes and says, hey, I'm pregnant, and it's from God. Like, okay, crazy lady. Like, I'm getting out of here. Like, right? Like, just, you can't blame him. That his, he's like, okay, I've got I've to get away from this. Like, I don't know if I can handle this, right? But as he considered these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Which means God with us. And when Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Right, a lot of different details throughout the story. And for really the sake of time, I can't read all of it. But um, if I were to read the next chapter, we see that the story continues. And this is where we get uh, the wise men coming from the Far East uh, and they come, uh, they tell of Herod, uh, the king at the time, the political ruler of the time, he's, he's the king, and um, Herod finds out that there's another king born, and he gets so angry that he orders that all these babies get slaughtered, right? And so the story kind of progresses through that, and, and Mary and Joseph are warned again in a dream, and they flee to Egypt, about another 50 miles. So anybody who's had a baby, you just had a baby, now you've, you're walking another 50 miles to another country, right? They, were, they, they essentially flee. They were refugees. And um, yeah, just so many details of the story, but I want to read this excerpt out of Max Lucado's uh, it began in a manger. Uh, he wrote this as kind of just an interpretation of the Christmas story. And I think the way he articulates it is so beautiful. I read this every Christmas. And as I was preparing for this, this kept coming to mind. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to read it. So I want you to read this. And again, just immerse yourself in how Max Lucado unpacks the story. He says this, <clears throat> a more lowly place of birth could not exist. Off to one side sit a group of shepherds. They sit silently on the floor, perhaps perplexed, perhaps in awe, no doubt in amazement. Their night watch had been interrupted by an explosion of light from heaven and a symphony of angels. God goes to those who have time to hear him. So on this cloudless night, he went to simple shepherds. Near the young mother sits a weary father. If anyone is dozing, he is. 
He can't remember the last time he sat down. And now the excitement has subsided a bit. Now that Mary and the baby are comfortable, he leans against the wall of the stable and feels his eyes grow heavy. He still hasn't figured it all out. The mystery of the event still puzzles him, but he hasn't the energy to wrestle with the questions. What's important is that the baby is fine and Mary is safe. As sleep comes, he remembers the name of the angel told him to use, Jesus. We will call him Jesus. Wide awake is Mary. My, how young she looks. Her head rests against the soft leather of Joseph's saddle. The pain has been eclipsed by wonder. She looks into the face of the baby, her son, her Lord, her majesty. At this point in history, the human being who best understands who God is and what he is doing is a teenage girl in a smelly stable. She can't take her eyes off him. Somehow Mary knows she is holding God. So this is he. And she remembers the words of the angel. His kingdom will never end. He looks anything like a king. His face is prunish and red. His cry, though strong and healthy, is still the helpless and piercing cry of a baby. And he's absolutely dependent upon Mary for his well-being. Majesty in the midst of the mundane, holiness in the filth of sheep manure and sweat, divinity entering the world on the floor of a stable, through the womb of a teenager, and in the presence of a carpenter. She touches the face of the infant God. How long was your journey? The baby had overlooked the universe. These rags keeping him warm were the robes of eternity and his golden throne room had been abandoned in the favor of a dirty sheep pen. And worshiping angels had been replaced with kind but bewildered shepherds. It all happened in a moment, a most remarkable moment. As moments go, the one that appeared no different than any other, if you could somehow pick it up off the timeline and examine it, it would look exactly like the ones that have passed while well, you have read these words. It came and it went. It was preceded and succeeded by others just like it. It was one of countless moments that have marked time since eternity became measurable. But in reality, that particular moment was like none other. For through this segment of time, a spectacular thing had occurred. God became a man. While the creatures of earth walked unaware, divinity arrived. Heaven opened herself and placed her most precious one in a human womb. The omnipotent in one instant made himself breakable. He who had been spirit became pierceable. He who was larger than the universe became an embryo. And he who sustains the world with a word chose to be dependent on the nourishment of a young girl. God is a fetus holiness sleeping in a womb, the creator of life created. God was given eyebrows, elbows, two kidneys, and a spleen. He stretched against the walls and floated in the amniotic fluids of his mother. God had become near. He had come not as a flash of light or unapproachable conqueror, but one whose first cries were held by a peasant girl and a sleepy carpenter. The hands that first held him were unmanicured, callous, and dirty. No silk, no ivory, no hype, no party, no hoopla. Were it not for the shepherds, there would have been no reception. And were it not for a group of stargazers, there would be no gifts. Meanwhile, the city hums. 
The merchants are unaware that God has visited their planet. The innkeeper would never believe that he just sent God into the cold. And the people would scoff at anyone who told them the Messiah laid in the arms of a teenager on the outskirts of their village. They were all too busy to consider the possibility. Those who missed his majesty's arrival that night, the God with us, missed it not because of evil acts or malice. No, they missed it because they simply weren't looking. Little has changed in the last 2,000 years, has it? And I love how Max writes that. And I know it was long, but as I read it this week, I was like, I'm just, I just have to read this because I think he puts into perspective so many details we so easily gloss over. Right? The reality that she was a teenage girl, a teenage peasant girl, being the one to give birth and comfort God. And Joseph so easily overlooked, but he's just like every father who's been a part of a birth, tired, just trying to make sure everybody's okay divinity wrapped in swaddling clothes. And we get consumed with just like happy-go-lucky holiday cheer, images of Christmas. But again, I wanna ask, what does it say that God came to be with us how he did? The entire story of Jesus' birth, his life, his death, his resurrection is a readjusting of our anticipation of who God is, what he does and what he is like, and ultimately what love truly is. And so much of our reflections on Christmas, our preparing in Advent, even in our Christian sphere, ignore the reality of how this love came to be and how God came to be with us. That yes, we might anticipate the story, anticipate Advent, anticipate Christmas with Christmas music, with little drummer boys and shepherds and angels and gifts, which are all a part of the story. They're all beautiful, but it has a tendency to water it down and dress it up. And we miss so much, so much. So again, what does it mean then that God came to be with us as he did? What does it mean that the God with us came how he did? How he showed up on the scene as a human, as a human born in poverty, as a human who was born in the middle of conflict, as a human who was born in the middle of political upheaval, this one I've been dwelling on, as a human who was born Jewish in Palestine, as a human born to an unwed teenage soon-to-be refugee, as a human who came both miraculously and in the mundane with stargazing men and in a money stable, as a human whose life source is his mother like every other baby ever born, he was a king whose kingdom will have no end but he did not come with sword or power as we perceive power. He came lowly in a manger in the middle of the night. Why? Why? Why does the story happen that way? We just take it in because it's what we've been told, but I want you to think about as we prepare for Advent, as we prepare for Christmas, why does this story happen the way that it does? And how does all of those details, all of that, change what it means to understand that God is with us? What is this saying? Could it all simply mean that maybe God never shows up to be with us how we anticipate it? Very rarely does God show up in our lives predictably or how we would want it or how we would expect it or how we would maybe even best receive it. 
And maybe the, the, the way we define love, God redefines and he's reworking to show us what love is really like. We have to remember that every part of the incarnation, the story arc of Jesus, his, his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, all of it is readjusting our framework, readjusting our view, readjusting our anticipation of who God is, what he is truly like, and ultimately what love truly is. So I want to ask us, does, the, does your view of God have room for this type of foundation? Because this is how the story starts. Does our view of God, when we think of God, not even just at Christmas, but any time in our life, does it, does it include this story? Does it include the details of this story? And if not, why? And how do we let this Christmas season shift our perspective and how we anticipate who God is and what he is like? Right? He's called God with us. Why would God tell Joseph that? That he will be called Emmanuel, God with us. Why would he tell him that? I mean, I have one guess, probably because the number one lie of the enemy over all of humanity, throughout all of history, throughout my life, throughout your life, throughout everybody's life, the number one lie is that God is not with you. It's that you are alone. You have been abandoned. He's not in your midst. You are separate from him, right? Even from the very beginning of the story, all the way back to Genesis, what do we have? Adam and Eve buying into this idea that God is not for them or with them. And so they take of the fruit. And what do they try to do? They try to hide and run from the God who is always with them. And they're running and they're hiding. And in the story, God is like, what are you doing? Why are you running from me, right? And really the rest of the story arc of scripture, you could go book by book, character by character, person by person. The story arc of scripture is someone running from God or, or scared or whatever it is and, and God showing up saying, I am still with you. I am the God with you. I will always be with you. No matter if you're scared, fearful, sinful, whatever, I am the God with you, right? We just said that about Adam and Eve. But think about it. Cain kills Abel. God comes to Cain. I'm still with you. Moses is terrified, wandering in the wilderness. God's presence, I am with you. Joshua gets in charge after Moses dies. He gets in charge to lead the people. And God says over and over and over at the beginning of Joshua, I am with you. Do not fear. Even in David's sin or other people's rebellion. God is still with him. Peter denies Jesus. What does Jesus do? I am still with you. Every single time, the answer has always been and will always be, I am the God with you, the God with us. And Jesus ends his whole time on earth. And the last thing he says is, behold, I am with you until the very end of the age. And there's this other thing that we read declared over Jesus. The angels tell Joseph this phrase. They say, he will save the people from their sins. Listen, there's, there's many different ways to understand, to un unpack sin. But in light of today, what if sin is simply just ignoring the reality of God with us? What if all sin is maybe rooted in a disconnection from that truth? 
I mean, Max Lucado put it this way at the end of his story. He says, those who missed his majesty's arrival that night, the God with us, missed it not because of evil acts or malice. No, they missed it because they simply weren't looking. Little has changed in the last 2,000 years, has it? And when I think about that, I think it's true that anytime I enter into sin, whether it's through like direct action or even deeper than that, like a belief I'm holding, that it's, it's probably somehow connected and rooted in this idea that I'm ignoring, running away from, or ignorantly walking in the separate idea that God is not with me, that I'm alone, right? That I don't recognize him. I'm not looking to him. I'm not finding him, right? And I think about that. I mean, think about the, the moments in your life when I, when I was reflecting on this. I, I look back to, I've shared a few of these stories over the years, but Jen and I just got engaged. I just graduated college. I was a leader in this, in this campus ministry. And I wanted, wanted to jump into ministry and I couldn't get a job anywhere. So I'm waiting tables. And over a six to nine month period that, that began to, to carry some weight, and I found myself just kind of slipping into this, like, God, like, you're not doing what you said you would do. You, you're not showing up how I thought you would. You're not moving how, how you said you would. And I slowly disconnect from the truth that God is always with me. And what developed in that time period was discouragement, was some sin patterns that eventually led to a moment in Jenna and I's relationship where Jenna, gosh, like, right before our first wedding shower, almost called off the wedding because I had gotten so disconnected from who God was that she, she was like, I don't, e- I don't even know if this is what I wanna enter into. And when I look at that space, what happened was I disconnected from the reality that God was with me. And there's other moments like that. I think about, man, the, our first pregnancy, we had a, we had a miscarriage and we, we found out we were pregnant and literally the next day, Jenna miscarried. God, what are you doing? Like this is supposed to be the most exciting time in our life. You're not with me. And it threw me in this tailspin for a few months of just, man, he's not here. Like he's not doing what he's supposed to be doing. I don't understand. I don't get it, right? I remember, I'm sure some of you guys went through this too, just in the midst of COVID, trying to do ministry and just hitting wall after wall. God, why aren't you doing what you said you would? I feel like I'm alone. I feel like I'm, all of these things, just moment after moment, when I look back at my life, the moments where sin ran rampant or discouragement won, it was rooted somewhere in not seeing and not believing that God was with me. And as I began to dwell on this, I think all sin is maybe rooted in that. The unbelief that God is not with me. And so I make other choices, other decisions, other thinking patterns, and it separates me from the truth that God is with me, right? It doesn't take a high level of faith to give praise when things are going well. It costs you something to trust him in the night, in the dirt, when the story is still unfolding, still uncertain. And this is why I believe the angel declares he will save the people from their sins, because God will come and he will show us, he will show us that he is with us as a human, born into poverty, born in darkness, born to experience humanity as broken and as real as any other human being will experience it throughout all of history. To show you that I came as I did, how I did, to show you that I am with you 
Anything you've been through, anything you'll go through, anything you'll wrestle through, I have been through and walked through and go through, and I will be with you till the end of the age. This is who I am. This is who God is. The one who shows up in the middle of the night when we least expect it, least anticipate it, that I am with you. And yet the, the peak of the story, the peak of Jesus' story of, of this God being with us really isn't Christmas, is it? It's the cross. It's the cross that eventually he would go to the cross and truly once and for all save us from our sins. Truly make the final stamp that if you didn't believe it in my birth and through my ministry, through my life, I will show you that even in death, there is no separation. Even in death, I am here with you. That I am going to go through the most horrific, the most, uh, the worst part of humanity, death, to show you that even in this, I am with you. And I will never leave you. And I will never separate from you. This is the God with us, most powerfully understood at the cross, that not even death can rob us of that truth, that he is with you. And really, I believe this is the invitation for Advent this season, to readjust our anticipation, to realign and see God for who he is, the God with us, and that nothing, nothing can separate you from that love. Nothing can separate you from that truth. And so I wanna end today, this morning, as we wrap up, as we begin this Advent season together in recognition that God is with us by joining together in communion. I wanna use communion this morning as just a time of reflection on God being with us. That he's always with us. He'll always be with us. And so if you've, hopefully you grabbed one of these on your way in. And I want us to think about this idea of communion as really stepping into that union that he is with us, right? That he is with us, that as we take this, we remember the truth of the Christmas story, right? Not just the flash and the lights, but the substance, the reality, the truth, that he is with you. And as we take this, I want you to enter into his story, realizing that he's already entered into your story. As we enter into the truth of Christmas, the truth of, of communion and what he implemented on the night before he died, I want us to remember that he's also entering into our lives, into our story, and to realize he entered into humanity, into your life, so that you would always know that he's with you. And so I just want you to take a few, few minutes here. And I want you to, I'm just gonna give us before we take communion, I just want you to reflect, like, where, does, where do you need to readjust your anticipation of who God is this season? Like what is stirring in your heart this morning as, as, as we really, this Advent season, all these days leading up to Christmas, what does the Lord wanna, wanna set forth in your mind, in your heart to fix your eyes on him? So let's just take a few minutes and just, yeah, Father, would you just reveal to us in the, in the truth of the story that you are with me? What do you want me to know about that? How can I come into union with that as we take communion? How can I come into alignment with the truth that God is with me? Maybe a better question might be for you to just be truthful in your own heart. Where do you believe God is not with you? 
or do you sense he is not with you? Jesus, would you reveal how you're with us? if you need to, but I want you to take the bread representing his body. It's kind of this remembrance that God is with me as he, as he came. He is with me. And after that, I want you to take this juice representing his blood, acknowledging that the God with us came to save us from our sins. So let's do this in remembrance of him. So as we wrap up this morning, I'm gonna call our prayer team forward. And we just wanna leave it open that, and if there is something you need prayer for, if there is a, a space in your life that you feel like God is not with you and you, you just need, yeah, the Holy Spirit to break in and, and reveal that, just we just give that space to you but maybe you just want to not rush out of here this morning and just sit and reflect a little bit um there's no rules so you do whatever you need to do in response out of this morning but my encouragement is as you enter into advent set your eyes on jesus and let the true story the the, the true revealed christ readjust your view of who god is and i pray that just the goodness of god would bless you in this season have a great sunday guys